So, Khan, what is it about problems in the South China Sea that wakes you up in the middle of the night? Well, I'd, I'd have to add to that the East China Sea as, as well. Um, if you take a look at it, uh, there's been a series of incidents um, starting last uh, in January of this year, and um, they've ranged from um, you know, semi-military confrontations between uh, China and Japan, between China and the Philippines, between China and Vietnam, um, to uh, uh, statements by the United States that um, in an advent of any kind of clash between China and Japan or China and the Philippines, the United States will back um, the Philippines or or Japan, where they have uh, uh, they have treaties to uh, uh, that are enforced. And what the issues are really over is um, two very different things. In the East China Sea, there um, is a dispute over a, a group of small islands um, uh, near uh, Okinawa. And uh, the Chinese, uh, Japanese claim them, Chinese claim them, uh, and there's a lot of tension around them. And in the South China Sea, it has to do more with things like uh, potential oil reserves and fishing rights and that kind of thing. The thing that's sort of scary about this all is that this, these tensions are not just something which is recent, and they, they were actually built in to the Treaty of San Francisco, the 1951 treaty that uh, ended the Second World War in Asia. And the U.S. largely wrote up that treaty, and they built uh, into it a series of what they called strategic ambiguity, and in one case the term is used called manageable instability. And what they did was that they deliberately did not settle questions like who owns these islands that the Chinese and the Japanese are fighting over, and um, who has uh, rights to islands and shoals and things in the South China Sea, and um, the same thing with the Curly Islands uh, north of Japan. And that that was very deliberately done, because as long as there was tension between the countries in the region, Russia and Japan over the Curlies, and China and Japan over the uh, uh, Sen the Senkakus or Diaoyus, um, uh, the Philippines and Vietnam and Malaysia and Brunei over islands and shoals in the South China Sea, that allowed the United States to have a constant presence, uh, constant military presence in the region. And it was deliberately drawn up to do that. So a lot of these disputes which are going on, and some of them have, you know, have really reached the point of getting pretty close to military confrontation, and we're talking about nuclear powers here, um, that, that because of this, this, these tensions here, um, that were deliberately set up by the 1951 treaty, um, it's a really dangerous situation. There is one other element to it, too, and that is, again, it's something that people are, I don't think there's ever been a debate or even much very, very much talk about it in the United States. But since 2010, we have um, a doctrine called air-sea battle, um, which is an attempt well, what it calls for is a military defeat of China in a war with the United States. And the dangerous thing about it is that it calls for um, attacks deep into China, 
command control, uh, uh, satellite uh, things, uh, radar, etc. This is a nuclear power, and and so any attacks that uh, that are not uh, immediate, say, on the coast or something like that, you know, it's a potential threat from the Chinese point of view um, to their rather rather modest um, uh, nuclear weapons force. And uh, and they may decide that they are under attack and they're going to lose a war with the, with the United States, and, um, and they may decide to escalate it to a nuclear level. And, and, and that's not just me being an alarmist, there are a number of studies that have done by both Americans and Australians in which that point is very, very specifically raised, that the dangers of, uh, of escalation to a nuclear confrontation with this uh, air-sea battle uh, plan uh, are, are enormous. They're, they're, it lowers the threshold. So you get these two things going on. You've got this air-sea land battle, um, which has the which has the Chinese uh, very nervous. Um, uh, it would uh, interdict uh, Chinese um, uh, energy pl- supplies moving through the South China Sea. Eighty percent of China's energy supplies uh, arrive uh, by sea through the South China Sea, and uh, and so the, the Chinese are very nervous about this. The U.S. has uh, has this Asia pivot, which they've moved uh, 60% of their military forces now um, uh, to Asia. Uh, used to be split 50-50 between um, the Middle East and Europe and, and Asia. Now it's 60-40. Uh, they've put uh, 2,500 Marines uh, into Australia. I mean, it's not that 2,500 Marines could really do a whole lot. But, you know, it's a sense of, of if you're China... You know, you're looking around, and what you see is you're being surrounded. Right. Uh, and that's that's the point. I mean, I think the Chinese view this very much um, as the pretty successful attempt um, that the United States made by um, uh, ringing the Soviet Union uh, with um, allies and bases uh, in the 1950s and 1960s, the containment strategy. Uh, and that Chinese are very nervous about it. So, Khan, let let me back you up just a little bit. This idea of strategic ambiguity and manageable yeah, instability isn't there? Aren't they wonderful terms? They are. I mean, and I get what they're saying that you know maybe after World War II we wanted to be the major player there, and so we didn't want everything resolved. But isn't that coming back to haunt us? Oh, isn't, absolutely. Isn't that an, an entangling alliance like World War I, where now we're stuck, we have to do something? Sure, and, and in the case of Japan, you've got a government in Japan, the Abe uh, government in Japan, you know, w- which are pretty unreconstructed apologists for, for World War II, for the Japanese uh, in World War II. They, they view that World War II was an attempt by Japan to drive the Western imperialists out of Asia didn't look that way to Asians, no. but, but nevertheless, that's, that's very much their view. And, uh, and Abe is, is very aggressive. They've, they've reinterpreted um, in, in uh, this summer, um, uh, in, um, at the end of May, uh, uh, in, on actually July 1st, uh, the Abe government reinterpreted uh, Article 9 of its peace constitution. 
which bars the uh, Japan from using its uh, self-defense forces, which are actually considerably large, very large, um, outside of Japan, except to defend Japan. Now they can be used to defend allies. Well, who are allies? Well, Abe's offering support to the Philippines, to Vietnam, of course, the United States, to Taiwan, um, etc. And so you have us tied to um, this very aggressive kind of unapologetic uh, militarist government in, in Japan. Now, the United States doesn't have a position on the sovereignty uh, of these islands that the Chinese and the Japanese are, are fighting about, but it will back Japan if it comes to a military confrontation right. with China. So, you know, I, I think most Americans don't realize, and I think your 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 point about World War One um, is a very good one. I mean, we've got ourselves locked into an alliance system on one hand, and a military doctrine on the other. Um, that's very very dangerous. Well, let's and Con, let's yeah, talk about that military doctrine for a little bit. Yeah, sure. The um, the idea, I, if I understand it, and I've I've read through it, the air sea battle doctrine is that if um, China denies access to some of those islands or takes over some of those islands, that we will basically go to war with China, and we will attack deep into China, and like you said, we'll go after their command and control. But to me, that seems suicidal. I mean, what are we thinking? That's, you know... It, it really is amazing, because actually one part of it calls for landing significant numbers of troops uh, in China. <laughs> you know, the, the only thing about don't get involved in the land war in Asia, yeah. well, most particularly don't get involved in the land war in China, Wow, um, where you have this massive army. Um, you know, all of this sea land battle, see, what happened was that starting in the early 1990s, um, China decided that it needed to secure its um, uh, its coastline, uh, and 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 <clears throat> because the U.S. has you know huge bases in places like Okinawa and of course Japan and and Guam and 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 now they're back in the Philippines that kind of thing, and so the the the, the Chinese decided what they wanted to do was to secure their coastlines. They wanted to be able to control their local waters. And there was one particular incident that really set them off, and that is that in, in 1996, I don't think most people remember this, but in 1996 there was uh, tensions between uh, Taiwan and uh, and the mainland. And the Chinese moved all sorts of uh, medium-range and long-range missiles up to the coast, and you know there was mutual kind of blustering and saber-rattling and things like that. Nobody really thought it was going to result in a war. But the Clinton administration put two uh, aircraft carrier battle groups into the Taiwan Straits, and the Chinese couldn't do anything about that. They don't they don't have any way to to deal with uh, ships like that or or uh, aircraft carrier battle groups, and um, and so they had to back down. They were very humiliated, and they decided we're not going to we're not that's not going to happen again. And so what they've been doing is building up submarine forces. Um, ballistic missile forces, etc., to deny access um, to the United States for their coastal water. So air-sea battle, as you point out, is uh, is the counter move by the United States to to prevent denial of access by 
the Chinese. Now, if you reverse that a little bit, I mean, imagine if uh, China were to, um, you know, have large uh, naval forces uh, off of Santa Catalina Island or or uh, or the you know any place on the west coast, uh, um, and, you know, the Farallone Islands off of San Francisco out there. Um, you know, we would be very upset about this, and we would view it. Um, as as a potential threat and a very aggressive kind of move. Well, that's how the Chinese are looking at it, and it's hard not to, you know, not to, to you know, they have a point there. I think that one of the dangers is is that the Chinese have uh, done some things in the South China Sea, um, which I'm in strong disagreement with. They've um, claimed, for instance, the Paracels and. The Vietnamese claim the Paracels, and that ought to be a subject that's open to negotiation. The same goes for the Spratly Islands and and for a lot of shoals and reefs uh, where there's disputes as to whether the Philippines own them or Malaysia or Brunei, um, etc. And the Chinese have acted pretty aggressively there, um, denied access to fishermen, um, you know, put an oil well, floating oil well into the uh, Paracels. One of the effects of that is that those countries have now uh, asked the United States to to aid them um, militarily, and so the Chinese, by I think I think being very overly aggressive in the South China Sea, have given the United States an opening, essentially, to uh, to bring in military forces and to form up alliances uh, with other countries uh, in, in that region, specifically the Philippines and Vietnam. So it's a tense situation. Uh, it's, it's one that would not be terribly difficult to resolve. Um, I think that the, uh, uh, the international court uh, would probably award uh, the islands in the East China Sea to China. Um, and I think there would be some sort of uh, compromise, um, joint uh, use, etc., of resources in the South China Sea. Problem is, is that you know right now everybody's too busy playing chicken with warships in the in both uh, areas and and you know flying warplanes next to one another and doing all that kind of stuff. And you know somebody can make a mistake. Sure. And, now, Con, and, let me ask you. Okay, let's say that some of the, you know, the Philippines or Vietnam, they want our military help. And let's say something happens. I can see, though I don't know if I would agree with it, that the United States would keep a shipping lane open or keep access to an island free. But this idea of attacking China massively just seems to me to be insanity. Why? It's really, it's really crazy. Well, it's where really did this insane. come from? Why are people I, well, even thinking know, it's like It's one this? of these things that... Uh, you know, Carl uh, von Clausewitz once said that um, that war is just uh, the extension of politics by other means. Right. And, and and it's not it's not an end of itself. I mean, you're trying to accomplish certain political goals using war. The odd thing about the the sea uh, the sea land um, sea air battle is that it doesn't seem to have any political strategy behind it. It's just a military strategy. It's defeat. China, uh, what to occupy it, to overthrow its government, to—I mean, there is no political part 
of sea land battle. It's just a, a, a tactical, a series of tactical maneuvers um, uh, that is aimed at defeating China. And the idea of the United States defeating China, that is China surrendering or something like that, is I don't I don't know what they're smoking there. Well, I don't That's either. It seems to be absolute insanity. And I wonder, too, about, you know, cyber war. Supposedly the Chinese have cyber bombs throughout the world Internet system. I mean, they could, this whole thing could get ugly really quickly, even if nuclear weapons are not used. Oh, even if it didn't, if it didn't uh, result in, in nuclear weapons. And, and that's always the danger, you know. And people, people sort of – one of the things I find interesting is, is that people say, oh, it can never go nuclear, you know, because it, that's, that's too much. Well, if you talk to, to military people, you know, their view of nuclear weapons, what, they're just one thing in the arsenal. Yeah. They don't think of them as vastly different um, than, than anything else. And I, I think that there's a, um, a kind of an allergy um, uh, by people uh, uh, in terms of talking about nuclear weapons. They, just, they don't want to talk about it cause it's so crazy. But, you know, if you've got a limited number of nuclear weapons, and your and your being and your command control um, uh, facilities and radar facilities um, and 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 space based systems etc. Which is what sea uh, air sea battle calls for are being attacked. Um, it's not much of a step to assume. Well, they're also going to attack um, our nuclear weapons, and the United States has the ability to do that. Not only with its ICBMs. Um, but uh, its submarines are are armed with the Trident D5, uh, which is what they call a counterforce weapon. That is, it's a weapon which is capable of striking close enough within uh, close enough to a missile silo to destroy it. So um, China so, would be thinking if they take, you know, course. they we better launch first because okay, we're going to lose they, it. The most they have, I think, uh, Chinese. The upper limit, I think, of at uh, this point of, in terms of nuclear weapons is about 200. That's enough. Uh, and that's really not that far. That's not a lot. But it's enough. And, and, and if you add, I was going to say, the, <laughs> the missile interception system of the United States, which unfortunately can't hit the broadside of a barn, um, you know, you know you're, you're the Chinese, you're looking at this and you're saying, we're not going to accept a defeat. The idea of defeating China is, is insane in any case. I mean, if you look back to the Second World War, China didn't lose the, to Japan. They, they lost huge numbers of people. They never surrendered to Japan. Um, that, that, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you see something like, like this um, uh, air-sea battle, and, and you just wonder, who are these people who drew this up? And what were they possibly thinking? That's a really good question. So, Khan, a, a final question, and it might take us a little bit to discuss it, but why the Asia pivot? Why does China have to be contained? I mean, it's not like the Soviet Union where it, the West was fearful that they would, you know, at least politically take over Europe, maybe even militarily. You know, there were proxy wars all around the world. It doesn't seem like anything like that is going on with China. Why this feeling like, well, we've got to contain them? Well, I think it's mainly who's going to be the big dog on the block. And uh, the United States sees itself in competition, economic competition, with China. 
um, sometime there even people argue that the economy, Chinese economy, is bigger than the U.S. right now. But certainly, the, sometime in the next decade, uh, China will be unquestionably the largest economy uh, on the planet. Uh, it. It, it has um, it's in very very deep competition with the United States in Africa in Latin America um, it, it, in certainly South America um, it's the number one trade partner and I say it's no longer the number one trade partner with Latin America China is and so the United States sees a limited number of resources out there in terms of strategic metals and oil and gas and all of this kind of stuff. Um, and they see the Chinese as their competitors. They're correct. The Chinese are their competitors. I mean, there's this thing called capitalism, and it's based on competition. And uh, the one thing the United States has, which the Chinese do not have, at least at this point, um, is that they have unquestionably the most powerful military in the world. So if you're in the United States and you're in competition with China, um, over economic issues. I mean, the United States has this pan-Pacific uh, uh, plan for free trade zone in, in the Pacific, and, and they didn't invite China to be part of it. Well, <laughs> that doesn't sound like it's it makes no sense. China. Yeah, sure. I mean, of course it is. Everybody knows it is. And so the one thing that we do have, and we may not, we may have a hollowed out you know, industrial system. We may no longer manufacture all that much stuff. Uh, we may be isolated politically in a lot of areas in the world. But boy, we've got a really, really big, powerful military. So, Khan, to uh, use it. So, the idea then is that in order to remain the top dog in terms of uh, capitalism in the world market, we are willing to ri risk nuclear war to make sure that we stay the top dog. Yeah, uh, in the market world. Yeah, that's that, exa that's exactly well. And we don't assume it's going to reach a point of nuclear war. And all I'm saying is, and that's based on what? <laughs> in other words, uh, you know, you play with fire, you get, you're going to get your fingers burned. And uh, but you're but you're absolutely right. This is about the United States remaining the single most powerful political economic and military force on the planet. And to do that, they basically have to outcompete the Chinese, and one of the ways they outcompete the Chinese is by pushing them militarily. Wow. Well, yeah, I know. It's really, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, no, that's total alarmism. Well, all I can say is, you know, sit down and read the San Francisco Treaty, and you say, well, why did they do that? Um... And and then you read um, uh, the uh, air sea battle, and you, you you come to the same conclusions. At every ch ch uh, you know there are times in which the United States has deliberately torpedoed efforts by countries in the region to kind of resolve their disputes. I mean the Russians and the, and the J Japanese, 1953. Uh, we're going to sit down and settle the question of the Curly Islands. And they had already reached an, an agreement. You know, they were going to come split the difference. Jap Japan would take some and Russians would take some. The United States stepped in and said, if you give any of the islands to the Russians, we're not going to give Okinawa back to Japan. And they, the Americans knew that the Russians would reject that. There still isn't a peace treaty between Japan 
and 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 Russia. Is this a good idea? No, it's not. <laughs> no, and but we well, it was in our interests to do that because we knew that we could force the Chinese, the the Japanese, to do what we wanted them to do to torpedo the possible peace between uh, that time the Soviet Union um, and and Japan. Because we wanted to keep a military presence on, on Okinawa because we found it extremely valuable during the Korean War. And we figured that it was going to be a very valuable base for us. So we were willing to let two countries theoretically still at war with one another and from World War II in order to keep our bases and our interests on Okinawa. I mean, that's pretty and, sleazy. Yeah. And now we're paying the price for that. Because oh, we are. We're, and we're Americans trapped. are paying the price. I mean, yeah. you know, we 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 spend. Uh, you have pull everything together that's military related. You know, it, it's uh, very close to, or maybe slightly more than a trillion dollars a year. Yeah. We just can't keep that up. 